This is Shelby Hansen, and you're listening to episode 41, Healing Neuroplastic Pain. Welcome to the Creating Your Beautiful Life podcast. I'm your host, Shelby Hansen. I'm an invisible illness warrior, kidney transplant recipient, mom to four, and life coach for people who have gone through incredible health challenges. On this podcast, I teach you how to move forward from difficulty and disappointment into joy and abundance as you take charge of creating your own beautiful life. Welcome to today's show. It's episode 41. Can you believe it? So today I wanted to talk to you about something that I have been working on over the past year and that I have found some incredible traction on and some tools that have completely changed my life. Now, life coaching changed my life back starting in 2017. I had just been, I just had my baby. He was six months old, my fourth child. While I was in kidney failure, I was on the kidney transplant list our landlord had decided to do renovations while we still lived in our house three, min- three months before we were moving. And then we were moving from Florida up to Michigan for my husband to start a PhD program. So there was a lot of stress in my life and life coaching found me at the perfect time. And it wasn't until last year that I began to find out so much more information about chronic pain. Now, You might think as like a chronic illness person that I am comfortable with chronic pain and I'm comfortable with how I talk about it. And I really was up until a point, but I was a little bit scared of it too because pain is so subjective, at least it was in my mind. And I was like, how can I coach people about chronic pain when I don't really understand what they're going through or what it's like? And I had an experience last October where I had a jaw surgery. They ended up removing a really large cyst from the back of my jaw behind my teeth and it had grown into the bone. And after the surgery, they had to, well, they had to open my mouth really wide during the surgery. And afterwards, I was so many days, weeks after the surgery where I was like, I don't really think I'm supposed to be in this much pain, but there's not, there's not an infection or anything, but I'm just having a lot of pain and I and I don't really take heavy pain medications because I feel like they affect me pretty strongly. I'm a short person. And so I had decided to take this pain medication that I'd been prescribed and I took it like waiting for the relief to come for the pain and the relief never came. And that was the moment that I knew there was something more going on to my, going on with this pain that I was experiencing. And around that same time, I had started to hear about this book that everybody was recommending. And I'm going to reference actually three books during the podcast. So the first one is this one. It is The Way Out by, I'll move my fingers, Alan Gordon. This book was incredible. Say it again, Alan Gordon, for those that are listening on the podcast. Okay. When I started to read this book, I had so many experiences with pain in my life that resonated with the experience of people that they were talking about and treating in the stories in this book. And I had never heard of mind, uh, of neuroplastic pain before. Sometimes it's referred to as mind body syndrome or, um, TMS. I can't remember the acronym, what that stands for, but it's this 
it's what happens when there's a pain that happens and then it becomes chronic. And so I was reading from this book and it has these couple, couple questions to ask yourself if you have pain. And these are the questions to ask. The first one is, have medical treatments been ineffective or just given you temporary relief? Did the pain come on during a stressful time in your life? Do you have or have you had symptoms in multiple parts of your body? Is your pain inconsistent in terms of where and when it appears and how severe it is? Do you think about the pain often or all the time? Does it worry you throughout the day? Now, my jaw pain had brought me to this uh, interest in studying pain, but when I started to read this book and I got into an incredible book club with my chronic pain coach, um, Betsy Jensen, and I can link her so you guys can hear more from her. Um, I was doing a book club with her about this book and she did this somatic tracking exercise and during it, my right hip started to hurt. Now, previously, I just thought, oh, my my hip hurts when I run. And that's the only time that it hurts. And so I was just like, wait a second, I haven't run for months. And I'm sitting in a chair. Why is my hip hurting right now? The same degree that it hurts when I am running, just because I was visualizing running. And I, I, I'll be honest, like I was a little freaked out by it. I was like, what's going on? What's happening with my body? Um, because I had convinced myself over the years that I couldn't run because of this hip pain that I had. And so I started to use some of the techniques that are found in this book. I started to find people that did chronic pain coaching, like my coach, Betsy. And through that process, I have had the most incredible transformations with my body. So that happened in October that I started to hear about this thing called neuroplastic pain. And I started to learn that pain is always created in the brain. It's the opposite of what we think it is so many, so much of the time. A lot of times we think, oh, something happens, like I'll cut my finger and then like my finger hurts and then it tells my brain that my finger hurts. And it's actually the opposite way. Our nerves are so fast that there will be a sensation happen in your body. Like if you were to cut your finger, like with a, if you're like, you know, chopping in the kitchen and you just um, slice your finger, your, your body will send the sensation up to your brain and your brain very quickly determines, is this a dangerous situation or not? And if your brain determines this is dangerous and it's producing fear emotions, you will feel the pain that's happening in your finger. And I was like, wait a second. No, the finger starts it, but it's actually the brain. You have the sensation, but it doesn't hurt until your brain tells you, yes, this does hurt. Okay. So this is good. We want to have pain in our lives because the reason that your brain is saying it's dangerous that you sliced your finger is so hopefully you'll stop so you can make the bleeding stop so that you don't continue cutting and lose a lot of blood or maybe like continue actually cutting your finger because if it didn't hurt, you might just keep cutting your finger over and over again and have these flesh problem, flesh wound problems. So pain is a good thing. The problem is when pain becomes chronic. And so that's what this book, The Way Out, talks about 
is how to deal with those messages that your brain is sending. Because sometimes what happens, and there's lots of different scenarios, but sometimes what happens is that you experience some sort of an injury and then it heals because it doesn't really take your body that long to heal an injury. Like even if you were to sprain an ankle within about six to eight weeks, it's going to heal. What happens is that your brain, even though your body may have healed, your brain may still be scared of injuring that body part. So if you believe, well, I just have a weak ankle, it will happen that your brain will consider sensations, normal, typical sensations that you have in your ankle as dangerous. And so the pain will persist even though there's no physiological damage because it's healed. And think about it. I I had this happen for a long time. I had one ankle that I would always roll. I'd always roll that ankle. And a lot of that had to do with me believing that it was a weak ankle. So it's just, it's fascinating. Okay, so I went through some serious processes to unlearn my pain because with my hip, oh my gosh, guys, I've been diagnosed with hip bursitis in my hip. Um, The pain started when I was 14 years old. I'm 39, so I've had it for... Two and a half decades? What is that, right? I don't. I can't even do maths. So two and a half decades, my hip is hurt when I run, and it doesn't hurt any other time, really. And so I had been to every doctor I'd been to, um, physical therapist, and tried physical therapy. I'd had x-rays. I'd had MRIs. I went to a podiatrist. I got inserts in my shoes. I got new shoes. I spent hundreds of dollars on shoes. And now... From the work that I've done with uncoupling the fear responses that my brain was sending to the sensations in my body about my hip, it doesn't matter what what shoes I wear. It doesn't matter where I run. I no longer have that hip pain. It is gone. And believe me, I have tried every Western medicine thing, and this is the only thing that has brought me permanent relief from that pain. Okay. So I want to share a couple other books with you and some quotes from them too, because they were other books that I was reading along that time too. The first, the second one is The Body Keeps the Score. And let's see, okay, by Bessel van der Kolk. So I'll put that in the podcast links too, if you're not watching on YouTube. So The Body Keeps the Score, it's called Mind, Body, uh, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. So a lot of these are talking about really serious traumas, and we can kind of talk about trauma with like a capital T or like a lowercase t. And a lot of the lowercase t traumas, what I mean by that is it may not be something that was super severe, but you were in um, an experience in your life when you didn't have the emotional or the physical capacity to be able to deal with it in a healthy manner. So that happens to us sometimes. And that is exactly what had happened to me with my hip and when I was running. Because I can remember the moment that it started hurting enough for me to stop running. Now, fast forward, I was in high school and I was running on the cross country team in my freshman year of high school. And I I will tell you guys, like I love being active, but I'm not the fastest person. But I'm also, I have a competitive streak. I like to like downplay it, but I am. Like at the core, I really do feel like I'm pretty competitive. Maybe it's that firstborn in me, those tendencies to always want to be the best, have a little bit of perfectionism in there. 
all of that. And so you can imagine it's pretty discouraging if you go to every single cross-country meet. And I will tell you, not only was I the last one to cross the finish line, I was always dead last. And I made that mean some pretty terrible things about myself. And by doing that and not having the resources to deal with being the last one, when I was used to always being in um, accelerated classes and always excelling academically, it was really hard to see myself fail in my mind, fail so terribly at this running. And, you know, it was high school, so things had started to actually be competitive. And so I remember running up this hill. Like it's making me think of Stranger Things in the song, like running up this hill. But I was running up this hill and I was um, during the practice. And I remember just being the last one. And I was just like, my my hips started to hurt. And I was like, that's it. Like, I just can't run anymore because like I'm injured. Like my hip hurts, I'm injured. And this is my reality for 25 years is like my hip just kind of hurts when I run and it's injured. And it wasn't until I started to examine the story underneath that. And the real story was, I can't face being the slowest one. So my body did the thing that she thought was the most helpful, which was, hey, if you're injured, maybe you have an excuse for not being the fastest one. And this was like really hard for me to come to grips with because in my mind, I'm like, I don't think that that's not, it's not that big of a deal. Like it's not, I'm I'm okay being the last one, but really as a 14 year old, my body wasn't okay with it. And my body thought the best thing that I can do is to send danger signals that it's really dangerous that you're the last one. And it really means all these terrible things about your self-worth and then you're injured and then you have an excuse. Now I'm not going to downplay like that. This was, I mean, not downplay. This is actually really good for me because I pivoted and I ended up doing water polo. I did co-ed water polo and I was in the swim team and I never experienced any pain with those because I didn't have any expectations of me being really good at them. So I was like, however I show up is really good. And I was so focused on having fun. I never had any pain from those things. And I learned how to be a really good swimmer and I love swimming. I love being around water. So there was a really bright side that came to that. But also, I once I came to this knowledge, this understanding, I was like, hey, if I believed that story for 25 years, I could actually start rewriting a new story. I can start listening to my body and really radically accepting her. And that's what happened. I read this amazing book too. It's called The Body is Not an Apology, The Power of Radical Self-Love. It's by Sonia Renee Taylor. If you have not read this book or if you don't have it on Audible, like she reads it and it's incredible. Like go out and get this book right now. But I wanna read a couple excerpts from this book. And one of them it's a, she says that a radical self-love world is a world that works for everybody, every body. <laughs> Creating such a world is an inside-out job. How we value and honor our own bodies impacts how we value and honor the bodies of others. Our own radical self-love reconnection is the blueprint for what author Charles um, Eisenstein calls the more beautiful world our heart knows is possible. It is through our own transformed relationship with our bodies that we become champions for other bodies on our planet. As we awaken to our indoctrinated body shame, which is what I was feeling, 
We feel inspired to awaken others and to interrupt the systems that perpetuate body shame and oppression against all bodies. There is a whisper we keep hearing. It is saying we must build in us what we want to see built in the world. When we act from this truth on a global scale, usually the the lens of the body, we usher in the transformative opportunity of radical self-love, which is the opportunity for a more just, equitable, and compassionate world for us all. And then she goes on to talk about what radical self-love is, because it's so easy to be like, oh yeah, like, um, I, she talks about the fickle cousins of radical self, um, lo- um, radical self love being like self confidence or self esteem or the scrappy kid sister, um, self acceptance. <laughs> she says that radical self love is deeper, wider, and more expansive than anything that we could call self confidence or self esteem. It is juicier than self-acceptance, including the word radical offers us a self-love that is the root or origin of our relationship to ourselves. We did not start life in a negative partnership with our bodies. I've never seen a toddler lament the size of their thighs, the squishiness of their belly. Children do not arrive here ashamed of their race, gender, age, or differing abilities. Babies love their bodies. Each discovery they encounter is freaking awesome. Have you ever seen an infant realize they have feet? Talk about wonder. That is when an, what an unobstructed relationship with our bodies looks like. You were once an infant, which means that there was a time when you thought your body was freaking awesome too. Connecting to that memory may feel as distant as the farthest star. It may not be a memory you can access at all. But just knowing that there was a point in your history when you once loved your body can be a reminder that body shame is a fantastically crappy inheritance. We didn't give it to ourselves, and we are not obligated to keep it. We arrived on this planet as love. So when I learned to radically accept my body exactly where she was and to check in with me, It changed my relationship with my body and the pain just started to disappear with it. I was able to regulate my nervous system, which is basically what this entire book, The Body Keeps the Score, is about. In it, they say that you are not aware of what your body needs. If you are not aware of what your body needs, you can't take care of it. If you don't feel hunger, you can't nourish it. If you mistake anxiety for hunger, you may eat too much. And if you can't feel when you're satiated, you'll keep eating. This is why cultivating sensory awareness is such a critical aspect of trauma recovery. Most traditional therapies downplay or ignore the moment-to-moment shifts in our inner sensory world, but these shifts carry the essence of our organism's response. The emotional states that are imprinted in the body's chemical profile in the viscera, in the contraction of the striated muscles of the face, throat, trunk, and limbs. Traumatized people need to learn that they can tolerate their sensations, befriend their inner experiences, and cultivate new action patterns. And that is exactly what I did. And that is how I help my clients when they come to me in chronic pain to be able to have that new relationship with your body, with the inner sensations that are happening inside of you, and to help calm that fear 
response that's happening. When your body is going into a survival response and your brain is responding with fear and try and danger signals. And I help people be able to come back and look at the stories, decide what's true and what's not true, and to expand that window of tolerance to any experience so it's not as scary as you once thought that it was. So if you experience chronic pain, or if you know of anybody that's experiencing chronic pain, I highly recommend those three books. And I would love to help you learn more about your body to help heal some of those inner chronic neuroplastic pains. All right, have a wonderful week and I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you're looking for a life coach to work with, what are you waiting for? Let's get coaching together today. I hope you have a wonderful week as you take your power back on creating beauty wherever you go.